For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Come On You Spurs podcast. My name's Dan Tracy and I'll be your host for the next 45 minutes or so as we talk all things Tottenham. Because win or lose, we'll discuss the news. It's three up top this evening and that means leading the line from the front and wearing the captain's armband is Cole. So Cole, how have things been this past week? Yeah, really good. Thanks, Dan. You know, glad to get some football back now and, and, you know, kind of we can get these proper games to review rather than kind of scratching our heads for stuff to talk about. So looking forward to getting into this one. Yes, we've actually got some match day content to talk about, thank God. So thankfully, James also joins us. James, you're up to full fitness now. I hope you're looking forward to this one. Absolutely. Um, I forgot how stressful it was watching Tottenham play football, but uh, good good to have them back and good to have the podcast back too. Cheers, mate. And also, we've rotated the squad this evening, and with the season back underway, it seemed the perfect time to call upon our good friend of the show, Darren Anderton. So, Darren, it's a pleasure to have you on board. I hope all is well with you. All good, thank you. Looking forward to it. Fantastic. Right, let's get the social media bits out of the way first so we can dissect Friday night and more in full. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Coming You Spurs app, where the podcast will be available each and every Tuesday morning. You can, of course, follow us across social media. We're on Twitter at COYS underscore COM. And we're on all the major audio platforms. That's Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, etc. You name it, we're on there. Right, let's get down to business. And that business finally takes us to the eventual restart of the Premier League. And Cole, I usually start with you. But do you mind if I throw the opening question over, over to Darren this weekend? No, you've always got to use an expert when they're on the show, Dan. <laughs> I mean, Darren's got a bit more insight than me on this one. Cheers, mate. OK, Darren. <laughs> OK, <laughs> right. no problem. So if we look at Friday as a whole in more depth in a moment, let's just talk about the actual result. Fundamentally, with that clash being, I guess, really a six-pointer, I know they're sort of reserved for more the foot of the table, but this had a lot yeah. of importance for both teams. How disappointing will that draw be in terms of the race for the top four? I mean, I, I think it's... It's a big blow, really. I think that, you know, we left ourselves with a mountain to climb, which means that we've got to win most of our games, especially against those in and around us. And, uh, you know, normally you play United, you'd probably take a point. But this United team, you know, I think that with the players we've got, we should be beating them. And, of course, when you're winning 1-0, you know, yes, United played pretty well in the second half and had most of the most of the play, but I, I felt kind of comfortable watching it, to be honest. I didn't think we played great and it was a bit frustrating our performance in general, but I did. I thought we would go on and get what would be a typical Jose Mourinho uh, win. <laughs> so, Cole, obviously the league's never over until it's over and there are eight matches left to go. That said, that failure to get out of the blocks at maximum speed on Friday and more importantly lay a marker over the likes of United does have a sense of opportunity missed about it, doesn't it? Yeah, I think, as I say, that was the thing, wasn't it? I think it was a real chance to put a marker down and kind of get the momentum going straight away and build that confidence. Um, and I think in the first half, we, we could kind of be quite satisfied with the way we'd played, hadn't we? Um, you know, I think that was quite even, but we'd had, you know, I'd, you'd probably say the better clear-cut chances and could have gone in 2-0 two nil, two nil to the good. Um, but then the second half, we kind of, you know, whether it was to be backed off, we could see we clearly kind of flagged desperately towards the end of the second half um, but it was a real chance to get some momentum going get a win over a rival which obviously we normally we do struggle with in them key games um, and yeah you do look at it look at it back and go in the end I think we're sitting here going well actually a point wasn't wasn't a bad result in the end but it, it could have been a lot better 
at the same time, James, I don't think we can be overly critical about the performance. Yes, it didn't quite hit the heights that we wanted. And yes, it is going to take time to get up to speed, hopefully sooner rather than later. That said, after, what, a 100-day rest or so, there were some pretty decent glimpses to latch onto. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the guys covered it there that we... we... We would have taken a point before the game, um, but I have to agree that I thought this United team were there for the taking, um, especially after that first half performance. Um, we were the team creating the chances and we were the team that looked like we were going to be dangerous when we were going forward. Um, and then the second half, it, it really frustrated me, to be honest, because it, you know that United team were there to be got at and, and if we'd have played the same in, in, the, in the second half as we did in the first half, uh, with maybe some fresh legs as well. I think we've got every chance of making it 2-0 and killing the game. Um, as it were, we, we kind of sat back and and just invited the pressure on. Uh, and, you know, it, it wasn't like we're, we're saying that in hindsight. I, I, much like the rest of you guys, was was screaming at the telly, waiting for, for for United to score. Because it really did just feel like we were we were sitting back and and waiting for them to score so that we could we could begin attacking again. Um, and you know that's to me that just isn't the the Tottenham way of playing football, and it's not uh, it's not a successful way of playing football, especially with with the personnel that we've got on the pitch. Our our defence isn't necessarily our strongest point. So so you know why not defend from the front? Why not put a little bit more pressure on United? And I, I'm certain that if if we had done a good point when you say we've we've had three months without football, but also. Um, a little sense of what could have been if we'd have if we'd have been a little bit more aggressive with it. And Darren, when we talk about getting up to speed, as a former pro, you'll be best placed to answer this question because it's very easy for someone like myself or Cole or James to sort of point at a player who looks leggy and tired. But for a player who's trying to get up to speed, is it fundamentally minutes on the pitch which makes the biggest difference? Yes, you can have double intensity in training and all that, but is it really getting onto the pitch itself and actually getting those minutes in the tank which makes the difference? Yeah, it's all about games. You can train as much as you want and you can, you know, get your fitness back up in terms of, you know, running and all those sort of different drills. But nothing, nothing matches um, Premier League football. And that's that's what you need. You have to do that. I mean, it's it will take two or three games. Yeah, we're all different. Uh, I always felt like once I got that first 90 minutes under my belt, then then you had the confidence that you would be able to last the game and be physically buzzing um uh, you know pre-season you play friendly games it's never the same intensity so it's not until you get those first couple of games under your belt that you actually believe that you're at full match fitness and and that that will happen there's no doubt about it and maybe there was a little bit of tiredness but i think we just just took our foot off the gas and and tr- tried to see the game out instead of going on and um finishing it in a, in a comfortable manner which we Really, really should have done, in my opinion. When I look at that United team, you got people like Fred in the centre of midfield. You know, we should be dominating. We should be dominating possession. And I'm pretty sure under um, Pochettino, we probably would have done. And uh, it's a, just a different mindset at the moment. Cole, most of the focus, or a lot of the focus, shall we say, was on Harry Kane and his return, the sort of much-anticipated return. Unfortunately, it was rather flat. He played all the 95 minutes. And to be honest, he was... Better as an extra body helping out in defence with United's late surge and the post actually up top. So how much should we be reading into that performance? How much have people been reading into that performance? And have they been reading into it too much? Yeah, I think obviously we there's going to be a few a while for Harry to get up to speed, isn't there? You know, um, obviously no one's played for three months, but in Harry's kind of another three months behind that. Um, 
So I think for his first game, you know, the fact that he lasted 90 minutes. Now, again, we can sit there all day, couldn't we, and argue that he probably shouldn't have been out there for 90 minutes, given, you know, this is his first game back. And obviously, he looked so leggy as well towards the end of the game. Um, But again, we didn't really have the options that you could probably bring on in that position to kind of give him the rest. Um, His performance wasn't up to his usual standard and that wasn't just in front of the goal. That was more with the ball at his feet because Harry's a great passer of the ball and great hold up. And he just didn't seem to be there. But then as well, at the same time in the second half, we never really had the ball enough and kind of created enough or, you know, put ourselves in decent enough positions in the attacking third where you could then say it wasn't like he missed three or four sitters at all during the night. You know, the second half, we our mentality was just to sit back and try and hold on. Um, and, you know, we rarely got forward and threatened them. So that would have affected what, you know, how he played in the second half as well and the job he was being asked to do. Um, but I think, you know, he'll come good. We know he's got the quality. So I think it's just a matter of time before once he gets that match sharpness back, I, I still trust him in front of the goal more than most strikers in world football. The way I look at it, that performance, yes, it wasn't great, but it's almost akin to Kane in August. You know, every time he comes back off an international tournament, it takes three mm. or four games for him to get going. And then when it clicks, no one sort of bats, bats an eyelid. So hopefully that transformation is a lot quicker because we haven't got as many games. But against West Ham, if he gets a goal, he should be flying. With that said, James, part of his game wasn't helped by the fact there was no real number 10. No Ali due to suspension. The Celso came off the bench. So there was always a danger that he was going to be further isolated. In terms of Lamella, did you think he pulled his weight? And if we're looking at it as game one of his game nine Tottenham survival quest in terms of his future, did he get a pass? Uh, average, if you ask me. Um, I think he, he, he always looks like he's making something happen because he's so energetic and, you know, he gets around the pitch. He always wants the ball. And he always wants to do something with the ball. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the quality of the final ball and the quality of decision-making just, just isn't there with Lamella. Uh, and I think this is a question that we've got to ask ourselves. Is he the kind of player that we want running our game? Um, and the answer to that is, is no. Um, I think, you know, coming off the bench um, for the last 20 minutes, it may be in a wide position, maybe in a, a bit of a free role, um, just, to, just to stir up the opposition and, and bring a bit of energy to the game. I think he's a great player. Um, but in terms of someone who you want to, to, the ball to go through constantly, uh, like a number 10, someone to, to make things happen, to play the right passes, someone like Lo Celso, um, he's just not up there with the same quality. Um, you know, I'm not going to knock him too badly because I, I don't dislike him as, as much as some people do. Um, I think he, you know, he's, he's good at what he does, um, but, but he's just not our, the kind of player that we want to be um, kind of steering the ship. Um, but, you know, I, I think he's a, he'd be a good player to keep around the squad. But for me, uh, not not starting in that number 10 role. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. That If he does stay on, I think his role might be slightly more marginalised or at least he sort of knows that in terms of a pecking order in number 10 role, that he might be second, third down the list. But, you know, we need a squad. It's going to be a lot of competition. So it's not the worst thing if he does stay on. I know we mentioned last week that it might be more a lack of suitors. But at the end of the day, it wouldn't be the biggest crime if he's still in Tottenham colours for 2021. That said, Darren, one player who did get a pass in my eyes was Steven Bergvine. Now, that performance, I guess everyone from a Spurs point of view, you could collectively say leggy, certainly in the second half. That said, he showed some serious pace for our goal <laughs> and, and a very decent strike to fire at home. So his 
get, I guess, transition to Spurs has been relatively quick, and it looks like it's a very exciting career is on the horizon for us. Yeah, he's settled in really quickly, hasn't he? I remember I went to the Man City game on his debut, and you could just see, you know, the glimpses of, of talent that he's got, and um, you know, he gets in the final third, he makes things happen. I mean, all everyone spoke about is, you know, Roy Keane's rant about the keeper and um, Maguire. But, you know, the goal was quality. I mean, he did everything he had to do. He, he, he attacked them, got at them, made, made them uh, look, look silly and then and hit a, a great strike. Should the keeper save it? Yeah, he probably should. But as you get yourself in that situation, you hit it hard, you hit it, you hit it on target uh, and then you've got a chance. I think he's been different class. Um, you know, of course, you know, we've got so many good players at the club, but he's come in and he's really, really impressed me. I'm I thought he was outstanding again the other night. Cole, you're a fully paid-up member of the goalkeepers' union, so I'll ask you about De Gea. <laughs> Do you think he fully deserved all that criticism from Roy Keane? Is that hyperbole from the Irishman's point of view? As Darren alluded to, it was a very good shot. Let's not take that away from him. It wasn't like a Roberto West Ham kind of howler where it's just melted through his wrist. So, you know, where does the blame really lie for that goal? I think, obviously, if you're looking at... The, De Gea will be obviously be disappointed with himself. You know, he gets good hands on it and probably should keep it out. Even though it's hit really well, I think a keeper of his quality would go, yeah, I should be keeping that out. Um, Roy might have been going a little bit over the top, you know. <laughs> <laughs> never, never. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's unlike... <laughs> Unlike Roy to be unforgiving and that, isn't it? Um, but sort of throwing fists at half time and that kind of thing. Um, I felt that was probably too harsh. And then obviously the criticism for the um, second save from Son's header. Again, you know, to be hypercritical and say he should be catching that and everything. It was still a good save that he managed save, to tip yeah. over. You know, the header's going back. So he's got, you know, he's coming across the goal and has had to go back and get a high arm up. That, to me, was a good save, in all honesty. You know, similar to Hugo's in the second half, in a way. Um, so that, I felt Roy was being really critical. But yes, you would say for the first... Dick Hayer will be looking back on that and saying, I should be keeping that out when it's that close and I get my hands on it. But again, it was hit with some real power and probably caught him out as to how well it was hit. He's probably expecting it to go across him into the far side of the goal as well at that point from that position. But um, we'll take it, won't we? You know, it's about time we had some luck with a goalkeeper. Normally they come to the lane and pull off their, their weldy, um, weldy game. I, I remember many years being there with a keeper making his debut or something like that. And he looked like an experienced pro pulling him out of the top corners and everything. Well, you mentioned De Gea, the perfect example. At Wembley, what was it, last season, made 11 saves. He could have chucked the literal kitchen sink at him and he could have saved it. It was one of those bizarre afternoons where we couldn't get the better of a goalkeeper. So, staying on that theme, James, just been mentioned, De Gea's second save, arguably one of the most pivotal moments of the game. Because if that goes in, you can probably get away with being ultra-defensive in the second half. That 2-0 buffer may have just got us over the line. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's that's why I say about that 2-0 buffer. I think if we'd have gone out and, and created maybe just one more chance like that in the second half, um, we, we could have taken it. And, and at 2-0, the, the game completely changes. United head goes down. Um, whereas, as it were, we, we kind of just lay back and, and let United 
do whatever they wanted to us. Um, you know, and you know, you could tell when when they brought on someone like Pogba uh, and, and the way Fernandez was running the midfield that it was always going to be United scoring that next goal and, and not Tottenham. Um, but you know, when we can craft chances that like that one, that you know, that was such a brilliant flowing move from start to finish. And you've got someone like Bergwijn pulling out a, a, a beautiful cross, which is something we haven't really seen um, from our wingers in recent seasons. In, in, in that final product is is, is the issue. Um, and, and I think Son actually did really well with the header as well. He did everything right. So, um, you know, it, you just think if, if we'd have made a few more chances like that, maybe one more chance like that, and it had fell to someone like Harry maybe, um, then it's a completely different game. But, but you know, that, that wasn't our game plan, clearly. Um, as, frustrate, as frustrating as that may be, um, it just wasn't our game plan. And, and whether that suits our players, it, it, we'll have to see for the rest of the season. And Darren, if we stay on the... Goalkeeper topic for one last question. Sure. Goalkeepers and criticism is something that Hugo Lloris sometimes picks up. He's not immune to it. However, his save in the second half was something right out of the top draw. And once again, I guess it's testament to the fact that he'll always save us more points rather than cost us. Absolutely. I mean, what what a save that was. I mean, there's no doubt about it. At the start of the season, he was, you know, he had a bit of a bit of a bad spell and make mistakes, which which he did. They are highlighted, and they usually end up in goals, and that. That's important, you know. We lost games because of it, but over the years, he's been, you know, he's he's get, given us so many points, and he's been outstanding since the the day he walked in the door through the door. I mean, I think he's been been different class, and uh, you know, we got to got to give him some credit and give him a little bit of a, you know, you got to let let him get away with those ones earlier in the season. I mean, it was it was a poor time for him, but that saved the other night was unbelievable I think it, it really was I can't believe he pulled it off to be honest yeah I think that sort of certainly kept us in the game at that point because it did seem yeah. like the, um, the red tide was certainly turning we'll get to that in a moment but Carl there's a report or two across social media today that Stephen Bergwijn wasn't necessarily Jose Mourinho's first choice for that position when he joined the club so A it makes you wonder who would have been and B I guess it's not sort of the worst problem things have turned out alright in the end but is there a little bit of interference from somewhere else? Um, well I think that's been an issue that we know has been a a question mark over the club for many years isn't it you know obviously you go back to even um, Glenn didn't he when Glenn run the club kind of said he wanted to bring Eto and a couple of players in um, and ended up with Poirier um, who still, that wasn't a bad signing, was it, bringing Gus Poirier in? But again, it, it wasn't his necessarily first choice and he would have liked to have done things slightly differently. Um, so I think we've always had this question, Mark, as are managers getting their first choice players or are they getting told, sorry, you can't have him? These are the list of players you can have. But I think in, in Bergfine's case, so far from what we've seen, even if he didn't want him but got him, he's ended up with what could be a real gem on his hands and a player that's only going to add some quality um, the more experience he gets and a little bit older. So, you know, th this one, I think, even if this wasn't the first choice he wanted, I don't think we've come off badly in this deal. No, not at all. I mean, if this is plan B, it's not a bad plan B to have. So I don't think anyone can really complain on that front. Talking of complaints though, James, the starting 11, especially in defence, but as the team as a whole, let's say half hour before kickoff, it's getting a little bit angry. Now, if you win that game, everyone goes, actually, the team weren't all that bad. So does that late goal change the narrative of what that team looks like? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the, the things that we were worrying about before the game uh, and what a lot of people were worried about when they saw that team lineup, um, a lot of it worked out really. Um, number one being Dyer and Sanchez. Um, that that's a centre back pairing that we haven't really seen very much, um, but it seemed to work really well. I, I think I've got absolutely no complaints with uh, Eric Dyer's performance. 
you know, he, he could say he was unlucky for the penalty, um, but I think that was just all down to the the defensive positioning of the whole team was 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 wrong. Um, but I thought Dyer had a, a really good game at centre half. Um, Sanchez uh, not as good, but but still very solid. Um, and then you know, moving into midfield, I think I think Winks and Sissoko did did a really good job too. Um, so. You know, I think people people get worried when they when they aren't seeing the big names, the big money names, the, and and Don Bele and uh, and Lacelso. Um, and I think it actually worked out really well. Uh, and you're right, we we wouldn't be talking about the starting lineup at all if we hadn't conceded that late penalty. So, um, so you know. I, There'll be lots of changes for West Ham. Um, that that goes without saying, with having two games too close together. Um, but I think that the, the United selection was uh, was not quite spot on, but uh, certainly nothing to grumble about. Unfortunately, Darren, we couldn't hold out for that one 0 lead and the introduction of Paul Pogba for United certainly offered them an ignition spark. The way that he and Bruno Fernandez linked up, you had that awful sense that the goal was coming. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's quality. I know there's a lot written and said about him and his attitude. And I think the reality is he's, what he did to, to Eric Dyer is what he should be doing week in, week out. He's got so much ability. Great player. One of the best players in the world, no doubt about it, when he wants to. And, um, you know, obviously he came on and had a buzz back playing football again. And, uh, you know, like we just said there, I thought Eric Dyer had a fantastic game. You know, I was a little bit surprised that he was playing. Um and then, you know, he put in a great performance and, was, you know, he got done there. He, you know, he shouldn't have pushed him. He should have let him get on with it. But it, I think it's just a natural reaction when someone goes by you like that to, to give them a nudge and, and try and get away with it, which was a shame. But uh, Pogba was different class. I think that we just started to give away a few sloppy balls in the second half. I think REA started, you know, giving the ball away in bad areas, especially for the chance that, um, you know, Laurie saved, which was unbelievable. Hopefully, it was going to be a match-winning save, but didn't turn out that way. You know, we just um, we got deeper and deeper, and that happens. That's natural. As a, you know, when you're when you're in games, you you feel like you you have to once you've got the lead, and it's difficult to to keep pressing all the time. But um, you know, we didn't have that out ball that we normally have, and they just kept coming, and it really did feel like it was going to happen, and uh, and that's how how it seemed. But you know, as you said before, we'd have probably taken a point before the game, um, even though three is exactly is what we wanted. Cole, if we look at the challenge itself which led to the penalty I guess most of it comes from the fact that Dyer was caught on his heels because Pogba was almost approaching that like a winger you know where he came from his starting position and just attacked him with sheer pace I guess after that he's inviting the challenge really and then there's nothing really we could do yeah as Darren said you know once he was in there I think obviously Dyer kind of panics and thinks he's in a really dangerous position here I'm just going to try and get close and put him off um, and you know not be funny now it doesn't take a lot to send the guy over in the penalty mm. box does it you know it's the final arts as we call you know the dark arts and that as we call it my only question on that situation there is and and this would be the one point where i would have said i think jose probably kind of made mistakes in that game with not using the five subs because towards that last 10 15 minutes you could kind of see that we were flagging um and when you've got um toby sitting on the bench Yan, I really think that at that point, or even Tangai, you know, some fresh legs coming on with 15 minutes to go. You know, maybe you could have replaced Dyer with Toby, who then would have been fresh, yeah. um, could have got after players a little bit more. You know, Tangai in the centre of the pitch, bringing that energy and getting in 
and around Pogba and Fernandez because, you know, Fernandez was running the show in those last 10, 15 minutes. And, you know, if you give that guy space, then he's going to punish you. And eventually it came. Um, so that would be the only criticism I would have had there. I think Jose probably could, should have sensed that things were changing and that certain players were tired, made those changes, freshened it up. And we might have got away with that one nil win at that point. But that, that's gone. Um, we just have to hope maybe we can learn from that. Um, and move on and take that take that sort of experience into the West Ham game uh, tomorrow night. James, when we look at the penalty awards, now if that's Serge Aurier, social media has an absolute meltdown. So it's fair to say that Dyer got much more of a pass than the Ivorian would have in that same situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's fair to say that Aurier gets a, gets a, you know the bad end of the stick. Um, but it's a lot of the time it's deserved. I, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of, of Aurier um, and so I'm probably guilty of that too. Um, a, a lot of it, I think, to me, is that Eric Dyer had a very good game. Um, Aurier had, had, a, had a pretty poor game uh, in my opinion. So if, he, if it was him giving away that penalty, it would have been, you know, that would have summed up his performance. Whereas I think it was a real shame for Dyer uh, in that he'd, he'd really commanded everything in the air, I think he was good with his feet, uh, and he, you know, he was, he was. You can hear him. He's, he's one of the leaders on the pitch. He's one of the more vocal um, players on the pitch. So I think he, he had a really good performance. And the reason that we can't be too critical, and, and maybe some people haven't been too critical of him, is because he did have such a good game, and he just got caught on his heels by what is really a, a world-class footballer and a, a footballer who was put on the pitch to, to make things happen and change the game. And and he and that's exactly what he did, and that's why he he is the footballer that that. that he Years, you know, Paul Pogba is a, a great player, and 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 he beat Eric Dyer on that occasion. So uh, yeah, I, I guess I guess some people have been a little bit soft on Dyer, but I think it's for a reason. Darren, if we can refer to your clashes with Manchester United back in the day, did you ever feel that United as a team got special treatment from the refs, or was the whole sort of Fergie referee influence something of a myth? Oh, I don't know. I mean, to be fair, they certainly got a lot of decisions at Old Trafford and things like that. But you know, when you're dominating games as much as they did, and you're getting balls in the box, and you you know, you got players who can go go at defenders and make things happen, and you know, cause players to make last ditch tackles because they're you know they're shattered from being you know 100. You know, they're defending, defending, defending mentally. Um, you know, and you make mistakes like like Eric did. You know, United they kept coming, they kept coming, and what did he do? He he made a mistake. It was you know it, was a, it wasn't good defending. It was great skill from Pogba, but also as a defender, a defender, you expect your you know your teammate, your defender, not to get beaten in that situation. Whatever you do, don't let him go on the outside. Make him come inside, and that's what happens. And that's exactly what happened with United back in the day. They were that good. They would just keep coming, keep coming, always with a belief that they would, you know, get another chance. And nothing highlighted that more than, of course, you know, the Champions League final, which was a game that, you know, in terms of play, they they got outplayed, they got battered and ended up winning the game 2-1. So, Carl, in terms of Eric Dyer himself, I think the consensus is that he had a good game, penalty aside. Some people off the back of that are now clamouring for him to play centre-back all the time. Where do you see his positional future is now the time for him to move back on a permanent basis? Yeah, I think so. I, I'd be quite happy to see him take over kind of a centre-back role. I think we've seen in that defensive midfield position, he probably just isn't agile enough and can't get around as quickly as you probably need to in that position anymore. Um, you know, he had a great couple of seasons there, but, you know, this season before the break, we had seen that he was kind of, you know, a bit slow and ponderous sometimes, a bit unsure of his passing. So for me, just to drop back 
back into that centre half position just makes sense. You know, I think he likes that position as well. So that's always going to help if you can play someone in a position they want to play in. Um, and I would have no qualms, you know, given that performance against United, putting him there with someone like Toby alongside him. Um, I would feel very confident with those two playing together. Obviously, the only weak point you could see there is going to be pace and someone possibly getting in behind them. Um, but, you know, at the same time, if you look at Davidson, I thought he had a reasonable game the other night. He had the one mistake that could have led to a goal where he really should have put the header out of the box, but kind of, you know, goes off the side of his head. You do always feel that he's got that lack of concentration at certain points, which can cost you, where I think Dyer could probably work a little bit better there with Toby. Um, so I do think we'll see him play there more, and I think Jose likes him there. So, Darren, in terms of Dyer or any other versatile player for that matter, does that versatility start to become a hindrance at some point? Because you may then be operating in a number of different roles within the team, centre-back, centre-midfield, what have you, but you never really perfect one, and because of that, you can't kick on. So is now the time for Dyer to nail his colours to the mast and say, I'm going to be this particular position? Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, you know, it works in different ways. Um, if, you know, if he wants to play well, I think it's important that he plays a position and that he masters it. Um, but in terms of maybe getting game time, he might play more games. If he's in and out of the team, then he might play more games as a squad player if he is a utility type. Um, but if he wants to be a regular, then he needs a, a regular position. Um, and I think now is the time he needs that. Because also, as a player, because of his his, his body, his the, the, the way he is, he needs to play every week in order to have that match fitness and that match sharpness. Because if he doesn't, he comes in, he plays one game every three or four weeks. He looks sluggish. He doesn't have that sharpness. And, and, and it shows. So... For me, it's very important that he does that, um, and I think as a centre back, it makes it makes sense. I think uh, sometimes, when, you know, as you said, he did a great job um, in there a couple of years ago, no doubt about it. I think dominated possession, we weren't defending as much as we probably are now. So I always feel the player that plays in that position will probably end up against the opposition's best player, their number ten who makes it happen for them. So it's such an important position. So for me, I'd, I'd rather see him at the back. And, and he's commanding as well. Like you said, you could tell he, he is a leader. And I think that from centre-back is the, the perfect position to do that for him. Yeah, I think personally, this now could be the role where he flourishes and really hits that next level as a player. When you've got Vertonghen probably leaving, there is a void to be filled. And I think he could be mm -hmm. the perfect man. But James, in terms of the dying seconds of the game. Now, we had some penalty anguish. There could have been even more. Thankfully, wow. VAR came to the rescue. So what did you make of that decision? Uh, thankfully, um, common sense prevailed. You know, um, the, the only question mark I'd have over that um, is that surely that's the whole point of re retrospective punishment. You know, he it's, it's very clear that Fernandez has gone down easily. He's gone down with, with no contact. And, you know, he's, he's, he's screamed and hit the deck and rolled around on the floor. Surely that is the definition of, of attempting to, to duke the referee in, into awarding a penalty that, and that you know that surely that that warrants retrospective punishment in that you know he's he has acted in a way so to so to cheat and so to to get the referee to award Man United a penalty uh, which which he succeeded in doing on the pitch um, but you know when you watch that replay back it wasn't just that there was minimal contact uh, on Fernandez and and so they went with the on-field decision it was 
that there was no contact whatsoever. Dyer didn't he didn't even touch Fernandez, and yet you know you see him go down, his mouth wide open, he's he's he, he's he's attempting to to cheat. And so uh, you know, I, I just think that in another world, we we and and we've seen it before that that it's it's been retrospectively punished. But I, I just think you know, not even a yellow card, just nothing. It, it's almost like he, it never even happened. Well, I think yeah, I agree. I, I was that, a yeah. li- I was a little bit more worried than the referee seemed so you know keen to give a penalty at that point. You know, wasn't it? It was looking like the referee was almost looking for the opportunity to be able to give the penalty to United. Um, that I felt that was a little bit more kind of um, concerning for me. Was that there were two? You know, if we look at them, you know, you could say soft penalties. But the referee, you know, had no hesitation, almost in a way where he was kind of glad to be given the opportunity to point to the spot. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he really, really wanted to make himself the headline. And that, that was, I was so frustrating after the game. I was I was talking to, to you guys and I, I was, yeah, I was so frustrated that John Moss, he, he really tried to, to, to make a headline. Yeah, I think he, he's got in his head that, that this is a big game. It's the first game back, blah, blah, blah. And, and there were so many narratives being played out in that game the the Pogba coming off the bench and saving the day uh the Fernandez running the show you know there were so many narratives in that game that it almost seemed that John Moss just just wanted to write himself into into the narrative and write himself into into the next day's headlines and I was I was absolutely furious with uh with the way that that game ended and and I'm still pretty frustrated now <laughs> Blimey, James right so <laughs> in terms of the result itself obviously there wasn't late penalty drama to see us lose so it is a point with that said Darren there is a big question that seems to be formulating across the Twitter sphere, and that is, should Tottenham fold their cards now and look to finish 8th or 9th and dive out of the Europa League cycle, which is, you know, Thursday, Sunday next season, with the potential to be fresher and go for bigger prizes? Is that a rather dangerous precedent to set yourself? Yes. I, you know, you just got to finish as high as you can. Uh, yeah, if we're not playing the Champions League, I want to see us play in the Europa League. As simple as that. Um, you know, it's another competition. You know, you go out and you, you win that, you're in the Champions League the following year. It's, you know, no one likes playing Thursday and Sunday every week, but it is what it is. That's the position we're in. Um, if it's not Champions League football, it's got to be Europa Europa League. And, and we just got to deal with it. We've done it before um, and it wasn't a problem. You know, we went from there. We got into the top four. Um it's you know players play it doesn't matter what day these days it's it, it's it's not a problem um I, to, I i don't agree with that um to what to to not be involved in that not not for me i guess carl we can't be that blase about it because like i said last week getting into the top six is no given you know you might sort of think okay well we'll leave it this season but if you sort of set yourself back from a momentum point of view you might be on the outside looking in for quite a while so really it's a case of just trying to be there and as darren says you might then get backdoor entry to the champions league the following season so it's about trying to be as still as high as you can yeah, I think especially for the club, you know, if, if you're Daniel Levy, if you miss out on the Champions League, the the double whammy of them missing out on the Europa League in terms of finances, etc., is a real whammy. And I guess if you're looking at it from a fan's point of view, um, when when we, we're a club that are kind of, you know, careful with our pennies already, to then be out of major European competition um, where you're not going to get that TV money and, and, you know, prize money from it, makes a chairman even more reluctant to go and spend, doesn't it? Um, and if you then also consider if you put the whammy on that no Champions League, you are then reality is looking at your top players possibly, you know, having having their attention drawn elsewhere by clubs who can offer them 
that, you know, football and the chance of winning things, then, you know, I guess not being in Europe makes that even more appealing to a certain player because they might think, well, it's not only are we not in the Champions League, but we're not in any form of European football next season. So I guess as a club and as you say, to keep moving forward, if we are going to miss out on Champions League, then ideally, yes, we should be aiming and making sure we finish in the Europa League spot. And as we know, you know, you can use that competition to your advantage, can't you? We know the group stages, you're not going to be playing high quality opposition most of the time. So you can then afford to kind of change things up and bring players in to give them matches and give them minutes. And still, you should be able to comfortably beat those sort of oppositions you're going to get drawn against. So you can use it to kind of bud in and give experience to different players. And that will also help bring bring the club on and bring those to bring the squad on and help you improve. So yeah, I think you know the reality is there are there is a train of thought that says, well, yeah, we only get to play once a week, and it's worked for Chelsea, it worked for Leicester. Um, so yeah, it, it's a tough one, but I think you know, in all de- ideally for the club, you need Europa League at least. I guess it comes with a massive caveat, and that caveat is that you've got to be successful in the quieter season because if you're not then it really has backfired. That said, James, there is a little bit of a plot twist potentially co- coming up on the horizon because supposedly any team that qualifies for Europe this season might not be in the Carabao Cup next season due to a huge fixture backlog of all things COVID. Therefore, if, say, Tottenham finished 8th or ninth, they might have the easiest ever crack at winning the Carabao Cup and an actual bit of silverware. Is that a route you'd now be tempted down? Uh, to be honest, mate, no, I, I'm the same as the other guys. I, He's not having it. I, I'm obsessed with, with European football. Um, I... I I, I'd happily, do you know what, I think it'd work well for us if, if we were in the Europa League uh, and therefore didn't have to play in the League Cup. I think that that would suit us because, um, you know, it's, it's a, that's another another rest week um, where we can where we can let our players recuperate. Um, and and then we can we can try and fight on the Europa League front, which I agree is, is a is a really good good thing for the club. It might not seem it if we're not selling the stadium out and if it, you know we're playing against teams that you've never heard of on a on a Thursday night, but. Um, it's it's an opportunity for the club to get a bit of revenue. Um, it, it is it, it's a it's a backdoor entry to the Champions League, uh, and it's yeah it's a chance to, to rotate the squad and give some players some minutes that that wouldn't usually get them. So to be honest, I wouldn't be tempted by um, by the not having to play in the League Cup and 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 that on that side of it. But uh, no, it, for me we have to be playing in Europe. That's fair enough. I'll come back to you, James, because there's a bit of transfer news today. Nothing too unsurprising, but Jan Vertonghen has signed a short-term deal. So the farewell tour will see a few more dates added on between now and the end of the season. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good news, really. Um, I think Jan is, is, a, is a great bloke to have around the club and, and a great player, too. I think we've probably got a lot of players who are, who are learning uh, from him, playing that left-sided centre-back role. Um, you know, Players like Foy and, and Tanganga, I'm sure they're, they're going to be learning from someone like Jan. And and he's he's a big part of the, the the personality of this squad. So to to have him taken out of it with with you know seven eight games to go, I think it would it'd disrupt the squad. Uh, and and also you know it's, it's another option for us. We're going to need all the players that we can get in the next in the next few weeks because of the fixtures. And you never know whether we're going to get an injury. So it, it's good that we're not just needlessly losing uh, a, a big part of the squad. 
Uh, and I'm sure that everyone was happy enough um, to, to get that deal signed. Darren, in terms of Belgian defenders, neither started on Friday. So can you see either added into the fold against West Ham on Tuesday? Uh, there's probably a chance. Um, but I think both centre-backs did well on Friday night. So um, maybe uh, Jose, you know, I think Sanchez with his pace is... You know, he has something different, so I think he has to play um, just because of that pace. Uh, and I think Jose loves um, Eric Dyer. I mean, I know that he tried to sign him there a couple of years ago at United. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if it stays the same. For me, I love Toby, love and love Jan. I think they've been unbelievable uh, players for the club and it'll be a sad day um, when they're not there anymore. But uh, it's great that Toby signed the contract. Jan uh, is now going to be with us to the rest of the season at the very least. And football clubs need people who have been around. I've always always thought that. Know what it's all about. You know, new players coming in, they can help them settle in, show them what it's all about playing for a club like Tottenham. And and that's important. Um, in terms of the game tomorrow night, it, I think I don't have a problem with it. any of those four playing uh, at any point. I think they're all different class. Yeah, I think you could pick any two of the four and have a healthy yeah. enough combination, couldn't you? So it's nice to yeah. have... Nice to have options, you know, something that yeah. we have been short of in the past. Talking of options, though, Cole, we're almost fought for choice for the number 10 role because Lo Celso is seemingly fully fit. Ali is also back from suspension. So which one do you plump for on Tuesday night? Uh, well, for me, I think that position really suits Lo Celso best. Um, you know, I think he's got the creativity on the ball, can carry the ball, see a pass. Um, so I, I really feel he's the player that I'd like to see kind of take over that sort of Ericsson role long term. Um, and, I, and I think he will fulfill that role and become a really good player um, in that position from what we've seen you know, already this season. Um, so if the Celso you know, is obviously going to be sharper, um, a little bit more training, some minutes under his belt. I think Jose will start him on, on Tuesday. And I, I see him taking that role in the long term. And then obviously at that point, we've got to look at where sort of Delhi, Delhi comes into the frame. Because for me, you know, the way Delhi played this season, um, he, he just didn't look right, did he? Um, he wasn't producing the kind of football that we know he can. So, you know, then you've got to look at where you maybe fit him in. You might change the formation slightly and just go with one holding player rather than two, which in my opinion, we probably should be able to, especially at home against some of the weaker teams. I can understand playing two deeper midfielders when you're coming up against the top six because they can offer more going forward. But for me, we shouldn't be scared of West Ham in their predicament and the way they're playing. And we should go for the throat, basically. Um, and you could play both of them, to be honest. And James, in the centre of midfield, Ndombele did not feature against United. Is this the night where version 2.0 is unleashed on the Premier League? Surely. Um, I think everyone's feeling the same in that if, if Jose doesn't trust him enough to give him... Uh, you know, even five minutes at the end against United when he's got two subs still left to make, um, then he must just be saving him for West Ham. You'd like to think so. Otherwise, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's no excuse for, for not. Um, he, he said, you know, he said in that interview before the United game that he, he'd improved his, his game and he's improved his fitness and he was happy with the way he was going. And then, and then he, he didn't use him at all against United. So, you know, you can only think that the reason for that is that he's saving his legs 
um, to to either, to start or play a big part against West Ham. So hopefully he's he, he's ready for it, and and hopefully he can he can pull the strings for us because there's no doubting uh, how talented he is as a, as a player. Um, it's just whether he he's he's getting Mourinho's system or Mourinho sees him fitting in the team that he wants to play. So uh, I, I I rate the guy so highly, and I, I, hopefully he he plays from the start because I think he can really really make a difference in this game. Okay, as we're on the West Ham topic, we may as well close the show with our predictions. So, Darren, I'll start with you. I'm going to go for a 3-1 win. Oh, it's gone big early. I like it, Darren. Cole, how about yourself? Uh, yeah, edgy game. Obviously, we know West Ham always turn up, don't we? You know, Antonio's about to have his game of the season, yeah, no right. doubt. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go, we can't keep a clean sheet. So, I'm going to go for an edgy 2-1 tomorrow night. OK, mate. And James, what about yourself? Uh, I think if we defend the same way we did against United, then then we then we will get a clean sheet. Um, so I'm going to go two nil Tottenham. I'll go one nil. I think we still might be a bit leggy, but I think we'll have enough for West Ham. So hopefully it's a win all round and we can get back into the top six race, if not the top four. Right, that is about it for this show. So we need to do the admin, which is as simple as thanking my guests. So, Darren, first up, thanks for lending us your time this evening. I hope you enjoyed that one. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Very enjoyable. Not a problem. Would you like to come back soon? Yes, that'd be great. Fantastic. James, sterling effort as always, and a pleasure to have you on board. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. Been a great one again. Cheers, mate. And Carl, the glue that holds it all together, another cracking performance. Thanks very much. Well, I don't know about that. You're putting me under pressure now, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> but no, really enjoyed it. Darren, thanks for your time. Uh, pleasure. Great insights there. And look forward to doing it again after the West Ham game, Dan. Yes, that'll be recorded next Monday. So a little bit of a delay, but football is coming thick and fast. So we will do it. Just have to wait a little bit longer. Right, with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. And as always, come on you Spurs. For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts. Download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play.